0: This is Let's Talk Business with your hosts, Mark Ebinger and Heather Bain. Now, here's Mark.
1: Welcome to Let's Talk Business, a show that talks entrepreneurship with some of the best businesses in the San Antonio area. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk with Joel Comp, an expert with residential home loans and the division president of Gold Financial Services.
0: Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's your first time on the show, right? This is my first time on any show like this. Oh, any podcast? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and so Heather invited you, right? He
2: did. We're, okay. I've known Joel for years now. He yeah. was the first lender that I really worked with closely in real estate. So, And they helped me buy my house, too. Oh,
0: okay. That is a, that is a fact. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> okay. refinance it like a year later. Yeah.
2: So I trust them with my finances.
1: Well, that's a good endorsement. So uh, having said that, also in studio with us today is Heather Bain, a certified business, business coach that works with business owners to gain clarity and achieve their goals. So Heather, welcome back.
2: Always glad to be here.
1: And I'm your host, Mark Ebinger, the owner of Krukus Marketing Agency, a company that specializes in giving small businesses a competitive edge by hiring low-cost remote working specialists from outside the United States, which is how I get so much done for so little cost. Quick reminder for our listeners, you can catch video and podcast versions of the show anytime by visiting our website at satalkradio.com. And if you're a business owner in the San Antonio area and would like to have your company featured on the show, visit our website at satalkradio.com or call our office Two one zero eight seven nine eight eight zero four. That's two one zero eight seven nine eight eight zero four. All right, Joel. So, is the housing market good or bad nowadays? It, it all depends. <laughs> Jump on, right in. There's always it, Joel. opportunity, uh-huh. right?
0: Sure. So, yeah. what are your thoughts? Uh, I think people view the housing market as a bad, you know, scene. It's a crazy mortgage arena that we're in, but I think you, you've never seen a better time to buy than right now. You know. Looking past, you can say, well, 2019 was the best time, but that's gone, right? So Mm -hmm. when's the next Mm -hmm. time? It's right now, you know, it's because there's not a lot of inventory around and rates are really high. And so a lot of people are pressing pause and making decisions that they don't want to move forward and they don't want to buy. So there's fewer deals to be done. That's why it's hard for real estate agents or hard for mortgage companies to sustain because they don't have the same amount of pipeline volume going through. But then you add on to the cost of doing loans right now, you know, as the interest rates have increased, that's increased the cost of these loans. And so now we have higher interest rates on our loans. We also have a weird kind of situation where we believe that these loans we're doing are temporary loans. We're, sure. lo- we're long term mm-hmm. lenders. We're 30 year loans, 20 year, 15 year loans. These loans that we're originating are highly likely to be refinanced in the near future. Mm-hmm. And so if a bank is servicing loans and they buy loans on the secondary market, they're less likely to pay you very much for them. And so because there's less revenue and we close loans, we can't make as much money that we used to. And so the cost of getting a loan these days is still there, but the borrower has to pay it or the seller has to pay it. So it has to be structured in the closing cost or the lender eats it. You do it with fewer margins. And so. So why is it a good time to buy? If That all sounds negative to you. Because you have market appreciation. As soon as rates get better, you're going to have more buyers come to the market, which means there's going to be l- less opportunity for you to get that offer accepted, and the values are going to shoot through the roof again. Gotcha. And so and you've got market appreciation, you've got loan amortization, you've got tax benefits. Those are all good reasons to buy a house. If you don't buy now, it's going to cost you more money in the future. So that's why I say it's a good time to buy.
2: Yeah, historically we haven't seen, I mean, there was a dip after the 2009 situation, but Mm -hmm. housing prices have not gone down significantly over the last, I mean, decade even. They keep just going up and up and up. So if you can buy now, what are the chances of interest rates actually going down? Because they're at, like, what, 7% right now?
0: They're about Mm 7.5% right now, right, for your best A++ borrowers, right? And so the chances of rates getting better soon – Probably not that likely right away. We're thinking towards the end of next year or the beginning of 2025 is actually when you're going to see lower rates because the Fed is chasing that 2% inflation number. You know, they are really focused in on getting the year-over-year percentage at 2%, and they're they're away from that right now. So they're going to keep rates higher, and it's going to be a little bit longer until you start to see some of the inflation metrics come down, uh, and that's why we think rates are going to be better in the future.
1: No. When it comes to, uh, like, investors. Mm -hmm. Are you working with a lot of
0: investors now or are we seeing a surge in that market or who's buying? Who are buying are first-time home buyers are buying, right? So there still is cash deals being done. So when you say investors, that could be a company, that could be a hedge fund, that could be some private firm. They're buying assets and they're renting them out because they know Mm -hmm. that these property values are, are fixing to shoot up. The statistic is basically for every point better in rate, that's 5 million more buyers. And so if we have a low supply, We're sitting, you mentioned 2007. We're sitting at about 80% less fewer available homes now than we had in the last cycle. So, if we get better interest rates at at some point in the future, they will be better. That means you'll have more buyers come to the market. And so, the values are going to shoot up because there's more offers. And so, less seller contributions, less negotiations, buy over ask, and you're going to see the property values increase. So, you're seeing people trying to acquire real estate. Knowing that the real estate market is still hot and the demand is high and the values and going to go up. up. Mm-hmm. And going to go up. So, why are first time home buyers buying more often now? So, people who own homes already have kind of made the decision we are going to stay put. Right. They've got a two and a half percent interest rate or something almost basically free. (laughs) They've decided that they want to stay put. They don't want to spend another five hundred dollars on the mortgage payment for that house that has the pool. They've made the right decision that they're not going to go anywhere. Right. And so you don't have people putting up their homes to sell like you typically do. And so because people are sitting on the sidelines saying I'm going to wait for rates to get better. The only people that are really buying are the people moving in from out of state right which is a real thing i think it's about one in four people are moving in from out of state but then you have people that want to buy need to buy you know have a family maybe got divorced you know they want to move out of mom and dad's house the people who normally wouldn't get the type of attention right from lenders they're now getting the attention because there's fewer deals to be had so the loans that are being originated are not the easiest loans to put together they require many different pieces to the puzzles all coming together to create one structure that you can actually approve so it's quite a challenge for a lot of people right now.
2: Well and I think that's something in the real estate market that people realtors and lenders it happens both when the market is booming and and there's lots of options they go with the easy to solve problems. Correct. You know you've got a 800 credit score, plenty of down payment, I'm going to take those easy loans. But I think the more experienced you are in real estate and in lending, you start to realize that you got to get creative with some of these. What is something that you guys do to be creative with getting people financing? Because that's, I mean, one of the reasons I love working with them is if I didn't know how to solve something as a realtor, I would call Joel because I was like, this buyer, I was like, I don't know what's going on, and he would generally have solutions. So. Tell me a little bit about
0: that. So Gold Financial has been around for about 25 years. We are a direct endorsement lender, which basically means we underwrite to the agency guidelines. So you have Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they handle all your conventional loans, then you deal with VA, FHA, USDA, those are all your government loans. So if the loan allows something to be done, then you know the rules. The problem is other lenders have overlays or they have restrictions to where they say, we don't want to lend if your credit score is below this or we don't want to lend if your debt to income ratio is above this or we don't want to lend because we just don't know how to calculate your income. Right. There's there's rules that they have in place. And, and fortunately for us, the other lenders aren't as you know knowledgeable or experienced or have that kind of creative financing. Creative just means look at it from all angles. Right. And mm-hmm. figure out a way to say yes, because the easy answer is no. When you're unsure of something and you don't know how to do something, you typically say no because you can't be wrong with that. But if you can say yes, you have to go through all of the steps, like actually navigate the entire process from, hey, how you doing, my name is Joel, all the way through, congratulations, here's the keys to your house. And there's a lot of steps that go through it. Right now we're regulated, probably the most heavily regulated industry around you know because of some things that we did back in 2006 and 7 that required some restructure on how lenders are going to lend so just by having like i call it loan how like loan knowledge you know what can and can't be done my title gives me permission to talk directly to the agencies so when i talk to fha or va or fannie i'm talking to the people that write the guidelines for it i'm not talking to a scenario desk or a help desk that only has a certain amount of information I'm trying to get through to the logic, or what's the guideline, and is this something that I can put myself at risk for, for my own interpretation, or is this, no, you can't do this, this is against the rules kind of stuff. And so I think just by having— Am I
1: going to prison or not, Mm -hmm. right?
0: Am I going to prison, and for how long? No. If we believe that we're breaking the law or doing things wrong, then the answer is no. But if we believe that the loan's going to perform, that people are going to make their payments, then we're going to try to figure out a way to get the deal done. Sometimes it's no, not today. It's yes in a couple of months, you know, once we restructure some of the obstacles that were standing in their way.
2: Well, and I think in life and in business, you find there's people that come to you with problems and there's people that come to you with solutions. It may not be the solution you want. It may not mean you get exactly what you want right now or the amount you want, but it is some kind of solution. So when people are... Looking at lenders, and you said it earlier, now they're being more picky and lenders are having to prove themselves versus just like, you know, fishing in a barrel. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that people need to look out for that'll tell them a lender is someone who's going to be a a solution finder instead of just a Yeah, I would ask
0: them, you know, one, how long you've been doing this, which isn't a good metric, but at least you know that they've been around for a while, you know, Mm -hmm. longer than a couple of months. Ask them, two, how many people have you helped this year? You know, you know, how many people have you actually got, you know, the money they need to buy the homes that they want? And then three, where can I see what people say about you? You know, where can I see other people's story when they interact with you? Would they be willing or wanting to do that again with you? And so if you can get those three factors answered, I think you have a pretty good um, tool or good sounding board if that lender knows what they're doing. Uh, I was working over the weekend and a lady said that she was pre-approved by another lender, but they couldn't get a hold of them. Would I be happy to help them? I said, sure, I'll take a look at it. But after I do this, are you just going to choose the other lender? <laughs> and she was like, no, I said, I'll look at everything altogether. I've already been pre-approved with them. And I was like, great, send me the pre-approval letter. So I at least know what terms you're looking at. The pre-approval letter was all fancy and gave the narrative that she was good to go. It literally said, I have done a soft pull on your credit, which means I've only reviewed it. I can't lend off that credit report. And I've verbally verified your income and your uh. assets, so you are pre-approved. Mm-hmm. Oops. And I'm like, that's not a pre-approval. That's somebody who took an application, answered your questions, said you're good to go because it fit the metrics, right, or the matrix that that lender had. And they pushed him on to the next phase. They don't know anything about that loan if it's actually going to be able to close because they haven't quite talked through or backed it up with documentation to actually, you know, pre-approve somebody. So I was kind of amazed at one of these. was one of the big software companies that you see online. Mm. Hmm. You know, if you name three of them, it's probably one of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not thinking QuickBooks, right?
2: And what's the difference, just for everybody listening, between the pre-approval and the pre-qualification?
0: So pre-qualification just basically means everything's verbal, right? I can go online or I can talk to you and I can tell you how much money I make, how much money I have set aside, what my credit score is and who I owe money to. That's a pre-qualification. It's literally good for nothing right? (laughs) A pre-approval is where you actually validate the information, right? So you tell me you make a certain amount of money, back it up with your pay stubs or your tax returns or W-2s. If you say you've set aside this much money to put this much money down, let me see the actual bank activity, right? Or see the statements because there are times where documentation that's provided by a borrower does not support or does not work for the low programs guidelines. You know, that's where some of the knowledge base comes from to where, you know, This agency is going to want this. This agency is going to want that. This program will allow for this. This program will not. And so you start to chart the course for how you're going to be able to do this, and you basically field underwrite it. You basically tell the whole story from beginning to end to make sure that you can execute that design, that architectural design of the loan. So pre-approval is way better than pre-qualification, but I would argue a pre-approval still may have some holes in it, you know, based mm-hmm. on who's doing the decisioning of it. So what's your background? How long have you been doing loans? Like 22 this? years that's that's all? I've been doing <laughs> loans. Wow. Yeah, 2001 is when I got in the business. Okay,
1: why do you do it? What's the deal there? Do you just love what you do? You love numbers? I mean,
0: what's the deal? So the truth is now why do I do it? It's because I like to have a positive impact on people. But yeah. the old story was, no, I wanted to get paid, <laughs> right? So... I moved down from Austin, I used to work for Dell Computers, I was in home sales and I talked people into buying computers for their houses and printers and I had met somebody that I liked very much and she was leaving, so I followed her down here. So I just kind of stumbled into the mortgage business. She's in the mortgage business. She said, you should come to San Antonio and get in and it'll be no problem. And so I was 25 at the time. I had a little bit of money in my pocket and I was like, I already know everything and I'm good at everything, so I might as well just go to San Antonio and get in the mortgage business because that's what I'm gonna do. And that did not happen the way that I thought it was. I came to San Antonio, and it was nothing but closed doors for me because everybody wanted somebody with experience. You can't go to college and get a mortgage degree. You know, It's always on-the-job training, but nobody would hire me because Uh I didn't have any experience. And I find it quite comical because it was literally USAA and Bank of America and Wells Fargo and World Savings at the time. They all said, no, you can't work for us. You don't have any experience. So I sat around for about 90 days with no job, Uh and that was pretty humbling. So how did you solve that? So I got hired to be the receptionist at a wholesale shop in town. And I was taking in files, and I was doing that, and a mortgage broker walked in and saw me and heard me talk to people on the phone. He asked the owner about me, and the lady said, you should hire that kid to be your receptionist. And so Gold Financial Services hired me to be their receptionist Mm. in March of 2001. So that's how I got in the business. Answering the phone, setting up files, learning the back end, learning how to take a loan apart, put it back together with fewer parts and still make it work. So I came in through the operational side of setting up files and processing files and working that way, as opposed to the normal workflow as you get a license and you start selling. I actually sat down for a good two or three years before I actually even you know, started trying to pre-qualify people and take loan apps and put people into loans. So what is it about your
1: customer service or your phone taking, what was it that people were noticing? Why did they?
0: I think it was because it was a guy in the receptionist position Uh at the mortgage (laughs) company answering the phone. And back then you had like 15 fax machines and you had to keep up with information and nothing was digitized. They were... they were taping pictures of properties to legal sized pieces of paper. I mean, everything was couriered back and forth. It was a totally different business back in two thousand and one. That's when they first started coming out with electronic underwriting and kind of digital data validation, you know, then we went crazy with it and said subprime loans and no doc loans and anybody who wants a home can get a loan and That was good until it wasn't right and then we realized what that type of lending environment can do to you and then it was back to basics around 2008 and 2010
1: so you're a guy that could multitask very very well and was nice on the phone apparently
0: yeah apparently I I can multitask very very well you know (laughs) the the ability to go in and out of stories because every file is a story Ah. you know there are real people's hopes and dreams that this is where they see their future where they will build a family they will grow a family they will you know have barbecues and celebrations like there's a story behind this and when people are very thankful for you then they share their story with other people and so you ask me why I do this and I think it's a quite selfish reason I do it because I like people to tell me I did a good job I like people to be appreciative for the hard work that we do and I like people to genuinely want to tell their friends and family about us to where it makes it easier for me to gain market share and do more loans for other people in the future cuz if you help enough people right you will get the revenue that you're looking for you know if you're doing it for the dollar you're not going to make the right decisions
2: well and i feel like if you talk to a lot of established business owners they say similar things it's less about the money and more about that bigger reason but i know there's probably a lot of newer entrepreneurs listening and be like it's a, I need money. Mm -hmm. So when did that shift happen? It's kind of like the momentum of going from like, it's about the money to, it's about something bigger. And what did that look like?
0: It was probably 2015 when I started to like build a team. So I had always been a single originator and you can only do so much on your own. You know, Mm -hmm. you may be great at a lot of things, but your capacity will get maxed out. And so I saw that I could, create three different very specific strategies for before you're a client, during you're a client, and after you're a client. They have three different marketing strategies and how you handle them. And so when I started trying to structure the perfect experience from very beginning to end is when I started realizing that it's really about how you make people feel. And I started trying to set goals and leads and conversions and closing loans and trying to hit these metrics. And that was fine until you wouldn't hit the metric. So you set a goal for yourself and you get really close to it. You feel let down. You feel defeated. You didn't meet your goal. So it wasn't a success. But if you look at the success, it isn't in hitting your goal it's all of the steps that you did correctly to get there and that you were better the month after that or you were better the year after that. So it was more about the journey and it was more about finding joy in the work. And then it became more about the reviews when we started actually collecting reviews from people and they would tell you how you made them feel and they would share the the story that they went through. You know, you don't know everything about everybody. You, there's a narrative gap between what you know about somebody versus what's going on in their life. You don't know the whole story. And so when you take people who have not had things go well for them all the time and you give them something that you know is going to be a positive impact on them, like your home, that's something like a real asset that they can be proud of, that they can put time into, that will make money for them in the long run, that's powerful. And that's something that we're able to give people and put them in a a better financial position because I literally charge people money to borrow money. (laughs) Right, <laughs> it is the most crazy business that I've ever seen, um, but it's the way the industry works.
1: Well, it's, it's an expertise to yeah. navigate that world. Yeah.
0: Yes, we take a very complicated system, make it seem simple, have people enjoy it to where they would do it again, and that's the fun part. Mm-hmm. So, just a little background
1: on Gold Financial. So, you guys are ranked in the top one percent of loan originators. I'm ranked
0: in the top one well, percent. You originator. are, yeah. yeah.
1: So is that in Texas, in the world? What that's it? in the
0: nation. So they have a couple of them. You know, there's different uh, Scotsman Guide and Mortgage Executives. They look at the number of units. They look at your volume. And so yes, I've had the, I guess the the privilege of helping enough people over the last several years that it puts me in the ranking of top one percent originators across the country. Is that a volume thing, or is it customer satisfaction? It's typically satisfaction? a volume. It's volume? typically a volume thing. They look at it, and so that's competing against. California and Florida mm-hmm. and other people. And so there's lots of originators that have large loan amounts, you know. But if, you, if you're if you closing, you know, two to three deals a month, that's pretty good. But my team, my team typically closes 20 to 25 deals a month.
2: And is that mostly here in San Antonio? Oh, or for you... sure.
0: Yeah, most of the stuff is here in San Antonio. I'm only licensed in Texas. If we have other deals that are in other states, that's not a problem. We have other loan officers that are licensed there because gold is a national brand, you know, Gold Financial Services started as one little bitty company back in 98. And then I joined in 2001. We became a banker in 2003. And it's just been slowly growing and growing. And it's because we care about how we make people feel. And if you can do things for the right reasons, you don't really have to look behind you. And so it's it's a slow growth pattern, right? But it's one that can be sustainable and one that we can try to replicate as we go into different states and different markets. It's authentic.
1: So you said almost 1,000
0: reviews. Is that for you personally or is that almost. for the company? No, that's for me personally. Okay. Yeah. So Are those
1: on like on Google or are they Zillow? Where Zillow? Some at? of them are
0: on Google. So I started off with just, so 2015, I went and got a Zillow account and I had a link and I started putting people, you know, letting them review. But now you've got other companies that specialize in just review platforms. So they'll set it up to where every time you close a loan or every time you have a client, they'll send them a review. And so that's the opportunity for them to click on the link and tell people about how you made them feel. Like, tell me the story. You know, what did you like, what you didn't like, what did we do for you, how to make you feel? And so we started tracking them. And so we've got, I think, about 980 or so reviews. So a little bit of Zillow, a little bit of Google, a little bit of Facebook, but most of them are from, like, the proprietary software that does the review platform for you.
1: and do you have any aspirations to be in your own business or do you just really like where you're, I mean,
0: Gold Financial is not yours, is it? Gold Financial is not mine. True story, though. My daughter thought it was till she was about (laughs) 10.
1: Well, you seem like, I mean, I'm going to say company man, but in a good way. I mean, you're very dedicated. You seem like you're very dedicated to the company. I'm
0: extremely loyal and the Gold Financial Services has been very good to me. Now, don't take it for granted. Like, they didn't give me anything, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I was given opportunities. I was given the ability to make decisions that I wanted to make and then either reap the rewards or suffer the consequences of it. You know, if I say yes to a loan for a business decision that turns out not to perform or turns out to be a bad decision, I have to pay the consequences for that and they are expensive. You know, mm-hmm. but being able to set expectations and deliver on those expectations has created my career. So, Most of my good referring agents have come from their darkest time where they had a deal that was dead on arrival, wasn't going anywhere. Everybody was like, let's call Joel, see if we can make it work. I can look at it, figure out a new path to get it done, talk it through with underwriting and make sure we're good to go and then tell everybody this is the plan.
1: Do you do business loans as well? Is that what I heard?
0: So we do hard money loans, and then when you have your business loans, would be something for maybe a self-employed borrower or somebody like uh, needing a some type of debt service loan or some type of more creative financing, legal loans, but they don't fit the the norm for most residential properties. And if
1: they go bad, you said you take the hit on that, and it can be expensive. What does that mean?
0: That means that if you have a loan that can't be sold in the secondary market, or the agency won't insure it or guarantee it because you made a mistake. Then you have to sell that loan to an investor that will pay you probably seventy cents on the dollar, right? And so you'll take a thirty percent loss on that loan to get rid of it. Uh-uh. Yeah. So that we do make mistakes sometimes. You know, I think every company makes mistakes. You learn from making mistakes. That's the experience part. Mm-hmm. You know, how'd you get good at doing loans? I messed some up along the way, mm-hmm. right? But then I fixed them. You know, and I I made sure that I paid the people that I hurt losses that they incurred. And then I made sure that we didn't make that same mistake again and put roadblocks or guardrails in place to where we're human, right? We're going to make mistakes, but how do we protect ourselves to where it's less likely we do that again?
2: Sometimes you have to stumble through it to know to look out for it next time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I think is interesting about the real estate and the mortgage industry is it seems to experience shifts ahead of almost every other industry. Mm -hmm. And those are the industries that really know about it i mean 2007 hit mortgage and and real estate hard so you were starting up and and getting in your stride through the first shift and now we're looking at another one and mm-hmm. and things are getting a little leaner they're getting a little harder so what are some of the things that you do now that you're 22 years experience you've survived the first big shift and mm-hmm. we're coming into another one where it's getting harder to, to put out loans what are some of the th- the tactics that you use as a team leader, a business owner in this kind of market to survive this and get through it?
0: So I've actually taken my current job of pre-qualifying borrowers and pushed it one phase up to converting prospects into actively looking. So real estate agents have pipelines full of lots of people that they talk to that are on the fence of whether they should buy or wait. And there's lots of information out there that they can lean to or review, but how accurate is it? So uh, I want to share with my referring realtor partners and anybody that will actually listen, how do you make the right decision today? How do you make sure that your clients have all the information that they need to make the right decision? Because if you don't know what's going to happen in the market then you're probably going to make the wrong decision. And so I've created a really cool pure gold buyer presentation that I'm giving to my realtors that they can use to talk to their potential prospects. I'm also offering up my time to do planning calls with people that are thinking about buying, but are unsure. And so you need to show the data. You mentioned the housing market and how properties softened up and lost value. But for that same year in I guess it was the 2000s, you still had about a 50% market appreciation from 2000 to 2010. Mm -hmm. And then we go 2000 to 2020, you had like a 60% market appreciation. So in two of the decades that were the worst times to own a home where you had two or three years with back-to-back losses, they still recovered. So when you take a 10-year appreciation and look at it, 90% of the time, real estate wins that is something you do not bet against. Mm-hmm. and so trying to think that there's a housing bubble, i can give you the data that will tell you there isn't a housing bubble. we have 20% available homes to sell that we had compared to 2007. there's about 4 million homes available for sale in 2007. we have less than 800,000 right now. oh wow. yeah. so we have no inventory. and so the statistic goes something about for every point better in rate you get 5 million more buyers to the market. So when rates get better, so I'm going to wait till rates get better. Great. What happens then? More buyers come to the market, more competition, you know, no seller contributions, no repair allowances, no contingency deals. You're going to be fighting with other buyers' offers to get yours accepted, and it's highly likely you're not going to be accepted. And so property values will go up. And they're already going up right now. They're hitting some of the largest numbers right now. You can track Zillow. You can track Black Knight. They're all showing you we're still at about a 10% market appreciation nationwide.
2: And this is something that I don't know why, but I I still circulate in a lot of investor circles. Nobody seems to be talking about it except for me. Um, The new tax bill that came through and Abbott signed that's supposed to decrease assessed value by Mm $100,000 for homestead exempt. How do you think that's going to affect? values in the future
0: well that's just for taxation right so Mm. the market value is still there it's just what you are paying taxes at your homestead they've already got it fed into the data so you can go google your house and you have a homestead on it, you'll see a hundred grand come off of the taxable value for the school district.
2: Well, and that's the thing. If you're paying, because like I know in my neighborhood, I pay about $600 a month in taxes, just in taxes, and that's sure. part of my payment. Mm-hmm. So this this decreases test value. It's going to save me about $200 a month yeah. on average. Is that going to affect pre approvals now that their total overall payment is going to decrease because of taxes? It'll,
0: it'll help for people who are buying their primary residence because mm-hmm. I can put a homestead exemption on their deal. You asked about. About how to get creative, not a lot of lenders know that you can apply a homestead exemption to the qualification of a borrower mm-hmm. to help them squeeze into a debt to income ratio limit. So some lenders will say, I can't help you. You don't qualify that for that payment. And I'll look at it, and I'll be like, well, let me go to the Albert Uresti website here in Bear County. Let me plug in the what-if calculator, put the homestead on it, and tell you what your taxes would be. And I'll underwrite the file and close the file with the exemption, knowing that they're going to go qualify for it. And that's how you just took that no into a yes.
2: Joel's team had me trained, and whenever I sent them a house that my clients wanted to offer on, I just automatically would send them the taxes <laughs> so they could just
0: yeah immediately calculate the the, that. the thing that's a little tricky that people need to be mindful of is because we have had such market appreciation in the last couple of years you've got properties that have capped values mm-hmm. so the seller may pay be paying taxes capped at 250,000 but the property is really worth 350,000 so when they ask you know how much are the taxes sometimes people look at the lower number which is a homestead exemption based off 250 mm-hmm. And they're not really anticipating that when you take ownership of this home, the cap is going to be removed because it's not your homestead cap. The baseline is going to be reset at the 350, and that's going to be the new homestead floor. Mm. And so sometimes people will choose not to buy once they find out what their real payment is going to look like. But that's why you just want to give people the information so they can make their own decision. And so that's why it's important for me to get in front of referral partners and get in front of buyers and say, you are in a market that is likely to appreciate here very quickly as soon as rates get better markets are not going to go down because we don't have inventory we don't have bad loans unemployment super low you know people have more jobs people are still spending there's no foreclosures like this is not a soft market where you're going to see markets go down And then you want to give them one level up where you say, I'll let you compete against cash offers. This is where I'm going to pre-approve you. I'm going to get you gold certified. So if you want to go down the road of giving me all the income and assets and stuff that I need to fully approve your file, don't have any loan contingencies and tell that seller, this person's the same as cash, Accept their offer, and I'm going to get your seller paid. You know, that will help people have a competitive edge when they start to make offers, when they say, I've already done my homework, I'm good to go, let me buy your house, I'll even waive the appraisal contingency, because we have a gap appraisal strategy assigned for that. So that's what we're doing right now. We're being proactive and we've moved because we don't have as many loans to work on. Mm -hmm. So I'm built for 45 or 50 loans a month, and I'm closing 20 to 25. So I'm at half pace right now. So that means i have to be looking and doing my annual reviews i have to be prospecting harder i have to be looking at every opportunity and i only normally get looks at the deals that i get sent so that's why i said let's move it one step further let's start converting these people from looking to actually looking and i'm i don't want to go find new referral sources you know if my agents are not in the business next year i have to go find new referral partners which means I got to go start selling myself all over again and figuring out who I want to do business with. And that's not where I want to be right now. Mm -hmm. I've already worked hard to create these relationships and I want them to grow. And I think you're going to start to see fewer loan officers get their license renewed for next year. They're already talking about half of the licensed loan officers are not going to renew. And then you're going to have real estate agents that are going to get out of the business. They're small business owners. You know they're individual sole proprietors, most of them, and mm-hmm. so if they leave the business, then there's going to be fewer people to refer me who know me. So I'm going to have to do it all over again. I don't want to do that. So you're out there working for the real estate agents, I guess. I'm working for anybody who will pay me. It's
2: a win-win, though. Mm-hmm. You're creating a win for them and a win for you. I like it.
1: All right, Joel. If uh, we covered a lot of ground today, uh, you know, one of the questions I had here is what makes you? What does it take to be a top producer? And really, I think we just kind of went through that. It's it's not just I mean it's integrity, it's knowledge, it's being proactive, right? Uh, and there's a lot of hustle in there. Um, you're not really looking for referral partners right now. I mean, I imagine if they come oh, to you, oh for and,
0: sure, I am always looking for okay. referral partners. You are, <laughs> but yeah, good. but the right referral partner. You know, the, I I do have a luxury where I don't want to work with somebody who only cares about their paycheck. Mm. You know, there has to be a reason why you want to do this. And if you're just doing it for the dollar, then it's gonna be very transactional and there won't be any um, emotion behind it. And there won't be another deal that comes from it. It'll just be one and done, one and done. I would rather work with somebody that sees the bigger picture and says, I'm willing to do this loan for free. Cause I do loans for free where the realtor gets the service, the buyer gets the service. I may not be profitable, but at least the experience is intact. And then there will be a deal that comes from there in the future because I, I made the right decision. I don't know if I've ever heard a loan officer
1: say that. <laughs> I mean, that's, com-
0: that's completely well. Well, I also don't want other lenders to do loans. So if I'm strong enough <laughs> to do a loan for free, <laughs> right, which mm-hmm. I do loans where we don't make much revenue at all. And if I can keep that loan intact internal, that means another loan officer doesn't get it, and that means they're one loan closer to getting out of the way. So you are competitive. I'm extremely competitive.
1: Where does it come from?
0: I think it comes from like not being what they call good enough, you know. So uh, you probably can't tell. I don't know. I'm, a sta- I'm on stage, so you're like shorter person, right? <laughs> you know, just always had to try harder. You know, good at a lot of things, not great at any of them, right? So you're just always overlooked overlooked and through the history i guess of my life that's kind of the way that i've done everything i was taught at a young age if it's worth doing do it right and so everything that you do should be done in a way that nobody can come behind you and do it better but you're not better. just doing it right i mean there's there's a there's a
1: whole aura about you in that, and that i can see it it's it, there's a look right but it's not just about doing it right it's about doing it at an excellence level that drowns
0: out the competition. Sure. There's quotes that you come by and things that you resonate with you, and there's a few of them that I really believe are part of who I am, right? Such as? Well, Vince Lombardi, right? It's like perfection is unattainable, but when you chase perfection, you catch excellence. So trying to create a system that delivers the gold experience that can be replicatable, right? And that can sustain, you know, 50 loans or 25 loans. It doesn't buckle because it's very systematic. Um, Maya Angelou is the one that I really resonate with because she said, nobody will remember what you said or what you did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I love that one. I didn't know who said it, but it's one of my faves. That one is the one that is for sure. Yeah. Paul Mitchell said, you don't want to be in the sales business. You want to be in the reorder business. So your product or service needs to be of the highest quality that people reorder your goods and services. Mm-hmm. Cause if not, you're just selling and selling is hard. It's physically draining. It takes a lot out of you and it's not something that you want to be doing for very long. So maybe in the beginning of your career, yeah, you got to sell, you got to tell everybody about you and why they should talk to you and what's so great about you and what's different. Right. But over time, You'll start to get some referrals, and so now you're not selling as much, and then people start to reorder, and before you know it, you've got enough people that are referring you that that's a, you know, that's a successful living. But I look at it and say, how can I close one to two loans and then go to eight to ten to not get to 20? And so uh, I, I like to push the goal just farther and farther out and see how I can do it, but the more you grow, the harder it is to sustain it. And so, What
1: does success look like for you?
0: Success basically means no regrets. Like I don't want to go to bed at night wishing that I had taken care of something. If there's somebody that I need to talk to or there's something that I need to do, I want it to be done before I go to bed because then I'm not really living up to my true potential. So for success for me is not about how much money I can make or what my units are. It's really that my personal life, you know, my financial life, my family life, you know, my physical Everything is pushing to get better and better a little bit each day, right? And I, I strive to just keep getting each little part of my life a little bit better, a little bit better, and that's how I find my fulfillment. All right. Well, Joel, if folks want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? They can go to my website, compfactor.com, or they can give me a phone call on my cell. I'm fine with that too.
1: Compfactor, as
0: a playoff for your last name. Yeah, so you got yeah, so we we built that too in two thousand fifteen. So what what is the comp factor? And so it's really just that extra thing that you need to get a deal done. You can't quite put your finger on it, right? But if you want somebody to take care of something or you want somebody to handle something, there's normally like an X factor. Mm. But I definitely think I'm a contributor, I know I'm an influencer, Uh, I know I'm a difference maker, and so I'm a factor. Right. And so the comp factor is something you should have on your team.
1: Have you written a book on that yet? You should write a book.
0: Not on that, but I've been on a couple of books with Mortgage Storm and some other things. Uh, a book called comp Fact- The Comp yeah, that's Factor. That's a
1: good name.
2: It I is. didn't know the, the meaning behind it, but I know I can definitely vouch for The Comp Factor because the amount of times I've been like, Joel! Mm-hmm. Help me fix this problem this isn't your deal but i just (laughs)
0: need to talk it through what do you think i mean i was just going through one with the builder for a referring agent i said this builder is giving you wrong information Mm -hmm. when your borrower gets to the closing table they are going to spend more money than what they're being told Uh right now and they went back to the other lender and i said tell them all these things and then they finally got the information and then we helped we helped the borrower restructure their deal to where they would get everything that they had negotiated at the table and so I helped the referring agent put a, put together a deal that I won't be a part of. But that's what we do, right? We make sure that it's excellence. yeah. whether we're doing the loan or not, we want to make sure people have the right information. I love it.
1: All right, it's a wrap up the show. Quick reminder, check out our latest podcast or catch video version of the show anytime by visiting our website at satalkradio.com. It's not quite as cool as the compfactor.com, but it's there. Still cool. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it,
0: man. Thanks for having me. I had a good time. Do it again.